So uh, <clears throat> we have another very straightforward, simple, easy passage in Revelation today. <laughs> if you're reading ahead, you know that I jest. Um, we're in week 22 of our series on Revelation. This is week two, part two of these trumpets of judgment. If you remember, these trumpets of judgment are the same things we saw in the seals, but from the perspective of those being judged, not those who escape judgment, which are the redeemed, the chosen, those who follow Jesus. This week, uh, the subtitle I've called it Swarming Evil. So how do you, as a person, feel about some of the um, insects that we have in Florida? We have these massive flying cockroaches, these horse flies. We have these big, have you seen these big, ugly, prehistoric moths that just seem to sit there until you think they're not, and then they fly? Then we got deep woods mosquitoes that are like, you know, three inches long. We got hornet's nests. I hate them all. I run from them always. And if there's a swarm of them, child, please. Honestly, for me, if anything bigger than a small raisin flies around my head, I want to be out of that general area or I want that small raisin dead. Last week, just last week, while I was doing some yard work, which also, by the way, is a sign of the end times, me doing yard work. Last week, ask my wife, she'll tell you, I was, I'm doing yard work and this massive bug chased me. I don't know, you ever been that? Like, I don't know what it was, but I heard it and it was big. I got clippers and I, I'm literally, like, I'm a 54 year man. I scream, I throw the clippers down, and I run with the speed of an Olympian into the screened pool area and jump in fully clothed into the safety of the pool. I have always especially hated locusts. Just the thought of locusts creeps me out. They're frightening. Flying leaping in huge, massive swarms with these fangs that eat everything. I know they only eat vegetation, but I just imagine they'll eat me too. I will tell you, if a locust right now during this sermon landed on me, I would jump off the stage running and waving arms like some of our Pentecostal brothers and sisters. I'd be up and down, get it off of me, get it off of me. Just imagine that. I can't imagine being caught in a swarm of these locusts. And with that in mind, there's also a very horrible spiritual reality that isn't so funny. Today we're going to learn about the swarm of evil spiritual forces all around us. What they're capable of. What their limits are. And how also how we as followers of Jesus should view them. What we should do in response to them and where we should go for safety. So let's read our passage in Revelation uh, you guys, it's not clicking. You can put it back on the screen for me there. <clears throat> uh, Revelation chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. The fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. He was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like a great furnace, and the sun and air were darkened with the smoke. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth. <clears throat> they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. That's an important thing to remember. 
They were allowed to torment them five months, but not to kill them, but their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. In those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. <clears throat> On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold, their faces like human faces, their hair like women's hair, their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. The noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions. Their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as their king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. Okay, let's close in prayer. That was a good passage. <laughs> so I want you to see in the history of this passage, there are two things. If you remember last week, I told you that these trumpets actually follow in many respects right along with the ten plagues that were on Egypt for not letting the nation of Israel go. <clears throat> we see two more connections to that this week. The connections are to the eighth and the tenth plagues in Egypt. One is the locusts, and the other is the tenth plague of Passover. You remember in Passover that the angel of death went over the houses in Egypt, and those that did not have the seal of the blood of a lamb on the doorpost, they lost their firstborn. But the seal over the doorpost, the blood of the lamb, kept that household safe. The Old Testament actually cites locusts very often as a symbol of judgment because they would bring destruction agriculturally and because of that, economically. And their destruction was devastating then, and it still is today. The pictures I showed you were from a massive swarm just a couple of years ago in Africa that destroyed many crops. But we also see this reference to Passover when the scripture says they, were, they could not harm anyone who had the seal. That's a reference to Passover when the angel of death killed every firstborn in Egypt. And it's a critical historical clue into how to interpret this passage. Remember, the angel of death wasn't allowed to bring harm to any Jewish house with the blood of the lamb painted over the door. And this Passover is beautiful symbolism here. Do you know when the first Lord's table was celebrated? The night before Passover. More on that later. But I want you to see that huge portions of this passage that we just read are borrowed straight. The language lifted directly from the book of Joel, chapter 1 and chapter 2. It connects it to another historical event that every Jew would have known about in antiquity. So Joel prophesied or wrote this book in about 845 BC. It was about 10 years after what was the most devastating locust swarm in Israel's history. And Joel recounts that this swarm had four devastating swarms of locusts, each one devouring what the previous wave left behind. We see that in Joel chapter 1, verses 4 and 6. What the cutting locusts left, the swarming locusts has eaten. What the swarming locusts left, the hopping locusts has eaten. What the hopping locusts left, the destroying locusts has eaten. For a nation has come up against my land, powerful beyond number. Its teeth are lion's teeth and has the fangs of a lioness. We continue to see some similarities with our Revelation passage. What happened in this locust swarm was pretty devastating. It had an impact on Israel that they never forgot. <clears throat> and we see more of this 
in the next part, Joel chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. Watch this. See if you can see the similarities with the message or the passage I just read in Revelation. Their appearance like horses, like war horses they run. There's one. With the rumbling of chariots, another. They leap on tops of mountains. Before them people are in anguish. All faces grow pale. There's another. Like warriors they charge. Like soldiers they scale the wall. They march each on his way. They do not swerve from their path. They do not jostle one another. Each marches in his path. They leap upon the city. They run upon the walls. They climb up into the houses. They enter through the windows like a thief. What Joel did is he took a historic event that everyone remembered and he used it to prophesy about a future pending judgment upon Israel if they did not repent. Thankfully, this attack on Israel never happened because the king at that time, Judah, inspired by this prophecy, led Israel into a time of repentance and obedience and God held back that judgment and Judah had a righteous reign for almost 50 years. And again, you see some obvious similarities with today's passage and the one in Joel. Here's another glimpse of what I've talked to you about that's called these prophetic cycles. Prophecies that are true but have further meaning later. So that's the history of the passage. Look at the spiritual side of this. I want to talk about this obviously troubling, disturbing, swarming army of darkness. What it describes is this greater conflict. Trumpets 1 through 4 remind us, or if you'll remember, that there's an endless cycle of human wisdom failing. Human wisdom that hopefully that humanity believes can bring prosperity and what John describes using symbols of first century warfare that every time humanity tries to bring prosperity through revolt or revolution, its futility and its failure. <clears throat> Just like the four horsemen in seals one through four, those first four trumpets expose the fallacy of humanity bringing unity, peace, and redemption to this world. Human wisdom always ends in a spirit of conquest that brings suffering and death and destruction, and that is part of God's judgment. But the fifth and the sixth trumpet, the sixth we'll look at next week, describe another element of God's judgment. It is the spiritual component. There are spiritual forces of evil all around us. And both the fifth and sixth trumpets are full of symbolism that points to the spiritual warfare that Paul warned us about in Ephesians. Remember this? We did not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Then there's this fallen star with keys to darkness. By the way, this symbol of the fallen star <clears throat> with keys to darkness is in two other places in Revelation. More examples of what I taught you last week, that Revelation should be read as different camera angles on the same event. This symbolism of a falling star is also lifted straight from the Old Testament in Isaiah 14. How art thou fallen from heaven, O day star, O son of dawn? How are you cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low? These are more prophetic cycles where our prophecy in the Old Testament has two uses. First of all, when <clears throat> Isaiah wrote this, it was a prophecy of the fall of the empire of Babylon during the Babylonian captivity when Israel is captive to Babylon. But then it's also used in Revelation as a universal symbol, Babylon is, of pride. 
and arrogance and evil. But Revelation always also uses it to symbolize the father of evil, Satan. Revelation uses the fallen morning star by name to describe Lucifer. This fallen angel, Lucifer, has keys to the abyss. Now, the abyss is not a physical place. It is a spiritual realm of evil and darkness. So what this fallen angel has keys to is all the power that any darkness and evil in the world can muster. And when he opens this abyss, John sees this massive swarm of locusts emerge like smoke. And frankly, if you read this description, they are frightening creatures. These locusts are far different from the ones that Pharaoh had to endure. More on that later. This swarm of locusts isn't interested in eating vegetation. Their desire and their objective is to bring suffering to humanity. They can only cause suffering and sorrow and pain, and they are good at it, by the way, but God restricts them just like God restricted Satan when he wanted to come against Job. See how the scripture is all connected? It's just so beautiful. These swarming locusts, evil locusts, kind of creature things are not allowed to kill humanity because, you know, humanity does good enough of that on its own. But let's go through the imagery that John provides what this locust army is like. And he uses the word like like six times. So that we know this, that there are two things we know. This is not literal. And it's not how many people today try to interpret it as being a bunch of Black Hawk helicopters. That's not it. Okay? That's not what these are. They are like horses prepared for battle. In other words, they're mobile. They're fast. They're powerful. John says they have what looks like crowns of gold. This symbolizes their influence over rulers of all nations, no matter what form of government or what politician leads it. They have faces like humans. That symbolizes that they are clever and they are cunning. They have hair like women's hair. That is a symbol that they are not ugly, but they are attractive and beautiful, not the repulsive images that many have ascribed to demonic forces. They have an image that is tempting and alluring. They have teeth like lions, symbolizing that they are dangerous and treacherous and able to inflict pain and cause great damage. Their breastplates of iron symbolize that they are impervious to earthly weapons. <clears throat> Humanity can do nothing to them. Their wings make a loud, terrifying sound. Think of this. This is what this means. Like the noises you hear that are terrifying, like, for example, someone screaming all of a sudden out of nowhere. Tires screeching and a massive impact. Remember, maybe the bomb sirens that people experienced in London during World War II. They have scorpion's tails. You know what they symbolize? By the way, these symbols are used in other places in Scripture. I just didn't want to give you all the references because I'd be here an hour. The scorpion's tail symbolized the poison of untruth and deceit and all the pain and suffering that lies cause. But they only have power for five months, which is interestingly the lifespan of a locust. That's not a literal five months. It's more of the symbolism. But what it does indicate is their time of terror has an end. So that's the theological side of this. What about the personal side? 
What are we supposed to do with this? Oh, it went too fast. Okay. Surrounded but sealed. This was the sermon preview this week. With evil swarming all around us, believers should gather together to celebrate Jesus whenever we can. So this imagery... Guys, it keeps going forward. Just can you guys make sure that doesn't click forward anymore, please? Um, This imagery is a glimpse into evil, revealing how widespread and powerful its impact is on the world. And here's what I can tell you. Any human with any sense at all knows that there is a ton of evidence that there is darkness and evil in this world. In fact, it's one of the easiest ways to prove the existence of God. Even those who refuse to believe in God will not in all honesty deny the existence of darkness and evil. As a matter of fact, everyone, no matter your background, always has something you think is evil. Evil is like a horror movie. Evil is like an enemy so numerous. Even if you had unlimited ammunition and a massive army, you would not be able to stop it. Because evil just keeps coming in wave after wave after wave, crawling over the carnage it creates, eventually overrunning everything. This description is a massive demonic horde from the pit of darkness, causing pain and torment. But also a horde of darkness with beauty that is tempting and deceptive. And they are thirsty to bring as many people into eternal judgment along with themselves as they can through destruction and spiritual lies. Guys, we got a problem with this one. So you just go back and go back, please. Guys, can you go back? Okay. You can't, that's all right, I'll just go without it. Romans chapter, five, chapter 8, verses 35, verse 37 and 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look, this evil is very good at what they do. So good they can make people wish they were dead. But thankfully, this demon swarm has three limitations. They have that limited time. They also aren't allowed to kill humanity. And they cannot touch or hurt or deceive God's sealed. Through the seal put on us by the blood of the Lamb, we are completely protected from their power. Now look, yes, believers will and we do face danger. 
We do face persecution. We do face distress and, and grief and tribulation and consequences from those first four seals and those first four trumpets. The failure of human wisdom does subject everyone in this world to suffering to some degree. And yes, believers can be deceived by bad theology. The lies of temptation. These are the reasons why we long for Jesus to come back already. But for us, all those things that we experience, those consequences, are all the result of universal human depravity or our own flaws and sinful choices. So as a believer, you cannot blame your flaws and faults on evil. If you are of the sealed, you are protected from them. This is important theology to remember. These demonic forces only harm and deceive those who do not have ears to hear the truth or the gospel of Jesus. They have only power over the weeds, not the wheat. From the parable of the wheat and the weeds. They only have power over people who don't know Jesus. Those are the ones who are in danger of both human depravity and the evil swarm that is all around them. The next slide, 1 Peter 5.8. That's all right. 1 Peter 5.8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Because your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You know, just because we are protected doesn't mean we should be arrogant or reckless. But we should be filled with humility and gratitude. And while this swarm cannot touch us, they would certainly devour us if they could, and we should remember that. You know, I observe as a pastor, I observe many followers of Jesus that for some reason comfortably, brazenly walk in isolation in and among swarming evil, even dabbling with them, and I don't understand it. With a swarming army of darkness like this, why would any follower of Jesus even consider flirting with it? I mean, the, rea the reality is this swarm of evil should instead inspire us to celebrate how Jesus has sealed us from evil's greatest horror. And our gratitude should result in some sort of kindling of proximity to our Jesus and his community and love for the rest of those who have been sealed by the blood. And if you remember, the same author of Revelation wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. All through John's three epistles, he instructs us what? How critical it is that we love one another, stay together, stay in unity, and stay away from evil. He said that. John taught us that the best way to remember and to celebrate Jesus is together in community with the rest of his sealed. See, when you have ears to hear or hearts to discern the spiritual realities around us, that should give you a desire to celebrate what Jesus has done for you. In fact... It's one of the reasons on the night before Passover, Jesus taught us to observe the Lord's table together as a reminder 
of this precious promise. Do you remember that first Lord's Table celebration the night before Passover? Have you read about it or heard about it? You know what Jesus did there? He took the Passover, which is one of the most sacred feasts in all of Israel, and he transformed Passover's meaning forever, opening up to all, not just people who are Jewish, but all those who are the sealed. In the first Passover, if you remember, Jews were protected from death by the blood over the doorposts. But now... We're sealed by the blood of the Lamb who has the authority to open the seal of the redemption scroll. And the Lord's table does a beautiful job of reminding us in a world that is swarming with darkness and filth and evil that Jesus has sealed and protected his chosen. The Lord's table reminds us of the cost of that seal. It was not free. Jesus gave his life on the cross and shed his blood in sealing us with it. And as this demon horde constantly flies over us and around us, they cannot touch us. Evil is powerless to stop our Jesus and his plan of redemption for us. But I think sometimes the busyness of life or frankly the temptations of this world, the temptation for success and, and prosperity and peace of mind, all those things do a great job of distracting us from this promise that we are sealed from evil. The Lord's table is a critical celebration to remind us as powerful as this swarming evil is, we belong to Jesus, and he is Lord over all. So today, this is why we are celebrating the Lord's table. I think far too often, we just kind of do this ritual for religious reasons. Sometimes we do it for what some people might call traditional reasons. But it has a far deeper meaning than that. It was a reminder, the way it was set up right before Passover, it was a reminder that seal that was along the, the, the children of Israel is now on all of my children, and you are all protected from death and darkness of evil. So with that in mind, we're going to celebrate the Lord's table today. I'll give you guys a minute to open it up. So Jesus is with his disciples. And if you remember, what's interesting in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, there's one of you among, there's one among you who is not protected from evil. We know who that was. It was Judas. He says, but the rest of you, here's what he said, the rest of you, I know who you are. Even in the very example of the Lord's Supper, in the very first one in the Gospel of John, it spells out this incredible promise. This is what the Lord's table is to remind us of. And that's why Jesus said, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
but he wasn't done there. He took the cup. And after they had eaten, he said, this is the cup that is poured out for you. It is the new covenant in my blood. This is a symbolic reminder to us that as swarming as evil is in this world, Christian, you have been sealed by the blood of the Lamb. Your biggest enemy is yourself. (laughs) But they cannot harm you. Heavenly Dad, we're so grateful that you have sealed us from this terrifying demonic horde. Lord, we pray for those in the world who have yet to hear the gospel and embrace its truth, that you would give them ears to hear, hearts to discern, so that they may become sealed and protected. Lord, for us today, we confess something to you. We get pretty complacent in life about evil. And for some reason, sometimes we think it's okay just to walk among the swarm. Oftentimes, we do it in isolation. Maybe we don't want other people to see what we're walking among or what we're doing. But for some reason, we are constantly tempted by our own devices, our own sin, to dabble in the fruits of evil. Lord, when that temptation comes the next time, help us to remember this Lord's table. Perhaps even the one we've celebrated today, that you have given your body and you have shed your blood so that we can be sealed. And Lord, I pray that that reality would drive us to come together in community as often as possible to celebrate the redemption and protection you have granted to us. In Jesus' name, amen. My brothers and sisters, go this week knowing that you are sealed by the blood of the Lamb. Thank you.